This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to another edition of Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is your host, Alan Pierce, an attorney with Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano in Salem. And we're bringing you yet another edition of Workers' Comp Matters today with our guest, Senior Administrative Judge Omar Hernandez. Before we get into our topic of chronic pain and how the Department of Industrial Accidents is dealing with the opioid crisis, we want to thank our sponsors, Case Pacer Practice Management Software, dedicated to the busy trial attorney, to learn more, go to casepacer.com. And our other sponsor, PI Now. Find a local, qualified, private investigator anywhere in the United States. Visit pinow.com to learn more. The issue of pain, chronic pain, pain management, and the utilization of opioids is a topic that has been probably one of the most prevalent topics discussed in both in Massachusetts and nationally not only in general, but in the setting of workers' compensation. Many of our clients deal with chronic pain. Many of our clients take opioids. Many of our clients have been on opioids for many years. And we have done several shows here on Workers' Comp Matters on the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of uh, certain types of chronic pain treatment. Today, our guest is Senior Judge Omar Hernandez. Uh, judge Hernandez is the Senior Administrative Judge here at the Department of Industrial Accidents. He is a first-generation Cuban-American, our first Hispanic-appointed judge here at the Department of Industrial Accidents. He is a graduate of Cornell University, Suffolk Law School. 2003, he was appointed as administrative judge here at the Department of Industrial Accidents. He previously served as deputy general counsel for the Human Resources Department, handling labor relations and civil service issues, as well as having served as a staff attorney in workers' compensation litigation for the Human Resources Division. He also was appointed by the governor to a term which uh, he currently is filling at the department as senior administrative judge. And he is here today to address issues surrounding how the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has been dealing with the problems inherent in treatment of chronic pain and the use of opioids. So, Judge Hernandez, thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me on your program. And thank you for not wearing your Yankees cap. Go go Red Sox. <laughs> go Yankees. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Even though we're chuckling a bit, there couldn't be any subject perhaps more serious to my clients, to the citizens of the Commonwealth, and even to those here at the department who have to process, uh, manage, and adjudicate claims involving people that were hurt in the workplace in terms of dealing with the additional problem of what happens to somebody when in the course of their treatment, they take prolonged use of medications which might have serious unintended uh, side effects. And uh, not only is there a cost from a a money standpoint, but um, more importantly, there's a cost from the human standpoint, not only for the injured client, but their families as well. So I do want to say that in my role, both as host of Workers' Comp Matters and just in general, Massachusetts around the country, and I think you know this, but I I, I think Mm -hmm. it bears stating, 
has been looked on and is continuing to be looked on in other jurisdictions as, as somewhat being a leader in addressing head-on these issues. So I thought it was appropriate that we discuss what it is that Massachusetts has done, is doing, and is planning to do going forward that is starting to make an impact and is starting to deliver results. So I think to start with, give us kind of your overview of, of how you as a senior administrative judge here sees this, I guess we'll use for lack of a better word, crisis in o opioid dependency. Right. At the DAA, we're trying to take a proactive approach to deal with this crisis. Previously, the, the way the system was designed really wasn't addressing the issues that needed to be addressed. So uh, we formed a, a blue ribbon panel with all our stakeholders from both sides of the, of the bench with practitioners, nurses, doctors, judges, to come up with a way that was compassionate in the way we treat these uh, injured workers who are dependent on opiates. And basically, the program is, it's a voluntary program because under the statute, I really don't have a mechanism to force them into this program. And we felt time was of the essence. And rather than try to change statute regulations, we work within the confines of Chapter 152 and the regulations. So in this program, it's a post-lump sum. So this is 80 cases that have been settled uh, within the DIA. Liability has been established. In Massachusetts, when liability is established, the insurer is responsible for any future medical treatment, as long as it's reasonable, necessary, and causally related to the incident, for as long as the, for the employee's life. So it can be, be costly on the insurers. So either party can volunteer for this program or move forward with this program. Um, there are new forms. With every state government, there's always new forms. And basically, we're trying to establish a dialogue between the parties, which has been lost due to the number of years that have gone by since these lump sums have, have happened. And I'm glad we got right into this program because that is the program that has been attracting a lot of interest along with our treatment guidelines, which we will get into also. The program that Judge Hernandez is referring to is the Opioid Alternative Treatment Pathway, OATP. And basically, let me set up how this works. As Judge Hernandez indicated, medical stay open after settlement so that employee, my client, is getting his lidocaine patches, getting his oxycodone, oxycontin on a regular basis, or it's increasing, or it's of an amount that uh, is ongoing. The insurer wants to reduce or possibly stop this. Typically, what happened before the OATP program came in, the insurer would get a medical report from um, a consulting pain management doctor who might opine that this treatment is no longer reasonable, necessary, or could be dangerous and or not as effective as it could be, or the patient should be weaned or other things should be tried, which, by the way, gets us into the treatment guidelines. Typically, before this treatment pathway program, the insurer would file a complaint for discontinuance of the pain medication. The case would go through the dispute resolution process, go to a judge. A judge would then have to make the call. Do I force this client to reduce? Do I allow the insurer to terminate? Or do I keep the status quo? Because as a judge, you know, what role do I have to tell somebody what they can or can't take? So that was the problem as I saw it as a practitioner. My client gets caught up in a legal process in a system that really requires a medical, psychosocial, sort of a cooperative attempt by all the stakeholders. So what this pathway does is it takes these cases where the insurer wants to reduce or discontinue benefits out of this litigation path 
and puts us on this alternative path. So describe to us what happens to that claim once the insurer files a complaint, it goes first to an initial meeting called a conciliation. That's correct, it goes before a conciliator. If both parties agree, it then moves to a mediating judge. Whereas in the, in the traditional litigation process, that could take up between two, three, four months. Here it happens within 30 to 45 days. And that was designed specifically because we we realized time is of the essence. Um, and of course, during this time, the insurer is required to continue to keep paying for the meds, even if they feel that it's too much or shouldn't be paid at all. Correct. Correct. It then becomes comes before a mediating judge. And at that part, the parties discuss executing a 19 agreement and basically establishing the goals, expectations from both sides. As you just mentioned earlier, this is a multidiscipline approach which really wasn't happening in the traditional kind of litigation process. And a 19 agreement, uh, for those of you out there who aren't familiar in Massachusetts, it's a section 19 agreement that allows the parties essentially without prejudice to their rights to defend or prosecute a claim to agree to do something. Correct. And in this case, it would be to retain, first of all, a mediating judge and a case manager gets Correct. assigned. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what happens at that point? So the case, we have a case coordinator is signed on as well. And the case coordinator helps guide the employee through different treatment plans. It's a very, like I said, multidisciplinary approach and can be difficult for the employee to manage. So with this care coordinator, finding the right medical treatment necessary for these individuals. And each, again, it's case by case. There are different drugs, different modalities that need to be done. So it's not just a broad paintbrush. It has to be truly individualized for each injured worker. And I think what makes the chance of success of this program better is that in the same room or part of the same process, you have a representative of the payer, the insurer, either through their counsel or they could bring whoever they want. If they have their own nurse case manager, they want the claims rep or the attorney involved, you don't have to wait to request approval or authorization to substitute drug X for drug Y or to make an appointment for, let's say, a psychosocial evaluation because we all know psychology is a big part of dependency and or relief from dependency. So you get everybody, if not in the same room, literally they're in the same place procedurally and working together. So you're not requesting permission from an insurer to, to do this. You've got something going on. Right. So take us through a successful transition from the status quo to something better for the injured worker and presumably better for the insurer that's and paying for all of this. Right. Well, at this point, we've got both parties who are engaged. That level of mistrust between the injured worker and the insured, obviously indemnities are no longer on the table. It's basically looking for a way to provide compassionate medical care. And that's basically what we're looking for here and take out that litigation. Well, we're going to pay for this, not pay for that. We're all looking for the same goal is to reduce dependency of opioids with respect to these um, injured workers. You know, these people did not ask to get hurt, did not ask to be dependent on these drugs. And the insurers are, get, are engaged, the parties are engaged. And hopefully what we want to do is they move into these programs if at any point there's any issues, uh, not meeting their goals, expectations, they can come back into this program at any time. They don't have to wait for another court day or we gotta wait six months. They can come in immediately, hammer out what issues are, are at stake and then continue to move forward. And that's our goal is basically keep the parties engaged, remaining proactive, and again, provide that medical care is to wean them off from these, of this dependency. And I think you said at the outset that this is voluntary, mutually voluntary, so that I 
presume, and well, I know that if an employee, for whatever reasons, doesn't want to enter into this alternative treatment pathway or finds it isn't working or the insurer isn't happy with it, either side can withdraw from it and then go through the usual litigation model where a judge will basically do a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumb in the middle as to what the employee can expect. And I, I think we've all found that that's probably the least effective and least satisfying to the parties. Mm-hmm. So how long has the OATP program been in effect? We went live June of last year. And currently we have 34 individuals in different uh, stages of treatment programs. And we're seeing some positive results. No one has concluded yet. This program, what physicians have told me, it takes probably a year, year and a half to kind of go through um, this type of process. And as far as you're aware, is Massachusetts the first state to put together something like this within the actual bureaucracy of a Department of Industrial Accidents? That is my understanding, yes, Alan. And that's my understanding too, because I've, I've had some inquiries when people know I'm from Massachusetts and they are from other states dealing with this issue, they've asked me to talk about how this works and what it means. So I've been happy to do that, but uh, no better person to have do it than than you today and reach a a bigger audience. I think this is an appropriate time to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest, Senior Judge Omar Hernandez. Case Pacer is the leading practice management software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine, we've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non-revenue generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at CasePacer.com. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. I'm going to continue our discussion with Judge Omar Hernandez about the Massachusetts model of dealing with opioid dependency in the the context of workers' compensation claims. We spent the first part of the program talking about this opioid alternative treatment plan. And because it involves only cases that have been lump sum settled, where medicals are open and continuing, by definition, it means that these are older cases. These are people that may have been on chronic opioid uh, medications for five years, or even I've got a client that goes back to 1979, and we are entering into that program. So you can be almost 30 or 40 years into it or or three or four years into it. Uh, So that's one category of problems. The other category that the department has done a good job of addressing is preventing this from happening in the first place. Because, you know, the cow's out of the barn on the uh, older cases, but we don't want to get a continuing source of new business of new people coming into the system. So in May of 2016, the DIA promulgated a chronic pain treatment guideline document. Again, something that has been a model. I think some of this may have come from 
other jurisdictions that have done the same thing. And so I want to refer to that with the judge. These chronic pain treatment guidelines spell out in rather elaborate detail some guidelines for alternatives to opioid medications. And usually, and again, forgive me for going on on this, but when I look at treatment guidelines that come down through the department, usually from the eye of representing injured workers, I'm usually not in favor of them. They seem to put limits on durations of treatment, types of treatment. However, when I was asked to comment on this particular treatment guideline, I said, finally, because in addition to recognizing that more than short-term limited opioid use, anything beyond that is dangerous, the guidelines go on on several pages of actually listing other types of alternative protocols. And I'll just go over a couple of them. Work conditioning, work hardening, thermal biofeedback, acupuncture, psychosocial evaluation, psychological management, therapeutic spinal injections, facet injections, rhizotomy, SI joint, trigger point, Botox, psychosocial, etc. From a practitioner standpoint, before these guidelines, when I would ask an insurer to pay or authorize any of these things, I would be met with a tremendous amount of resistance. So I was very pleased to see page after page of alternatives of things that insurers generally were reluctant to approve, especially a psych visit. They just were afraid of opening up a psychiatric component to a claim where we all know that this doesn't mean it's a psych injury. It just means that you have to have more than just a medical doctor specializing in pain management. You need sometimes uh, some mental health. So tell us how that has worked. Right. And that's part of the education we're trying to do here at the department is to kind of change that train of thought. And I agree with you, Alan. Insurers were rather hesitant to pay for those alternative types of treatment. But now with them being engaged, knowing how terrible this crisis is, they're realizing that those types of alternative treatment are productive in treating uh, chronic pain. Physicians have said opioids are not ineffective for treating for chronic pain. So I think we're seeing a trend downwards towards that open-ended prescribed opioids and the insurers embracing these types of uh, alternative treatment programs, which you just uh, just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think most of our listeners are familiar with the Workers' Comp Research Institute, uh, WCRI. They are study, they study all aspects of workers' comp uh, systems all across the country. They have been particularly studying the different um, factors in opioid dependency in terms of uh, costs, in terms of duration of temporary total disability benefits, and a variety of other statistical analyses. I understand that they also have had an interest here in what's been happening in Massachusetts? That's correct. And recently they, they testified before a congressional subcommittee in, in Washington regarding what states are doing with respect to the opioid crisis. And they mentioned our program um, with respect that Massachusetts was uh, basically a leader in the country with respect to this type of crisis. Congress and on the, on the subcommittee said we can learn something from, from the state. So that was a, a nice recognition from the WCRI as well as Congress. And just to take things one step further, something a little more recent than the pathway and the chronic pain guidelines, we have a governor, Charles Baker, Charlie Baker here in Massachusetts, who also understands not just from the workers' comp setting, but just in terms of broad society, the opioid crisis. And he has, or through him, he has filed a rather comprehensive piece of legislation to deal with the opioid crisis in general. And there is some specific reference to the department in that bill. 
So perhaps you might be able to, it hasn't passed yet, but you might be able to educate our listeners as to what we're doing in the Commonwealth more globally as it would affect the DIA. Right. I think he's, he's speaking about the drug formulary. He's asked that the workers' comp be a leader with respect to the drug formulary program and how these types of opiates are prescribed specific to workers' comp. So yeah, I, and also establishing another uh, sort of subcommittee or subcommission to continue to study and to get input from the medical community. We have a healthcare services board here headed up by actually a nationally known medical doctor, Dean Hashimoto, also a lawyer. And he and the HCSB are also very much in the forefront. The issue of drug formularies is a hot topic. We will be doing a show on this in the future. I would say those of us who represent injured workers generally are not in favor of drug formularies for a variety of reasons, which I won't get into now. However, we felt as a group that if we were to have a drug formulary in regards to medications, that if it were limited and applied to opioids, that we certainly could live with that and we think it would probably be a good thing. So again, this is an example of how the, the stakeholders have been brought into the system. Uh, as the judge mentioned, the Mass Bar Association has a, uh, a task force that has helped along the way and continues to meet and deal with this. So I, at this point, I, I guess I want to just formally recognize the efforts that the department has made, that uh, Director Linda Turner, Senior Judge Hernandez, and the staff here has made because I see, I've already seen a tangible benefit to my clients and it helps me Initially, when I meet a client and he tells or she tells me that she's taking, you know, whatever these medications, I give them a copy of the guidelines and, and I tell them to they really need to speak with their doctor and explore before they get too far down the road to get in control of this. So any final words? If, if somebody wants to learn more about what you're doing here in Massachusetts, how might they uh, contact you? It's on our website. You go to DIAMass.gov and the program is uh, outlined uh, on our website. Uh, I also like to thank the Mass Bar Association as well as you, Alan, being so supportive with this program. I, you know, obviously, I can't do this alone, and um, being engaged with all parties, all stakeholders, has really uh, made this program successful. And for that, I will say thank you, Judge Hernandez. Thank you, those of you who listen to our podcast, and stay tuned for another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. So go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.